Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Dr. Todd Littleton. Todd is the pastor of the Snow Hill Baptist Church in Tuttle, Oklahoma. He's a graduate of Oklahoma Baptist University and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a great guy and he's a good friend. I give you Todd Littleton. Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Thanks. It's great to be on. I always appreciate the invitation to be on uh, one of the best lectionary podcasts on the World Wide Web. It's a, always a pleasure to invite you, my friend. And Happy New Year, second week of the... We're in Advent 2C. I, it always sounds like... Advent 2C, it sounds like the plane ticket you don't want. Or maybe it is <laughs> you want, because it'd be like an aisle seat in business or first class. Maybe it is a good seat, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2C. There you go. You know? We- I, you know, I'm on a flight with you. Hey, it's a good seat. So there we go. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, two C It's just great. One of these great, uh, you know, um, two C baby. So we've got our first text is from Malachi, the third chapter verses one through four. We've got the, I'm seeing, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord, when you seek whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. He's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? So we had, and then there's this uh, image of the refiner's fire that he brings. So here we go. This is, this is not the uh, uh, warm and fuzzy cheer reading. Well, I mean, I mean, there, I mean there's fire, so there's a little warmth, but I mean, there's sort of a stark of, uh, there's this hope, but the hope will, will bring a judgment, right? Right. I, I, th- I think that, you know, when I was, when I was kind of, um, uh, looking at it, I, I I grew up in a context where you know uh, fire is often uh, you know viewed uh, as a threat, as a judgment. But you know, don't you think that there's possibly when it's um, in, uh, it's uh, accompanied by the refiner's fire, there's a purifying element. So that rather than a fearful judgment, it's a it's a purifying or a cleansing sort of kind of moment. I mean, uh, take some of that sting out of that fear that's um, uh, often propagated, um, you know, by certain segments of Christendom, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's ultimately right. Like the sort of, uh, you know, purgatorial thing, right? Like this idea of purgatory is the, it, it's not the damned that are in purgatory. It's the saved, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's the sort of making fit and ready for life in the Lord. So you can, you have this kind of the sense here that, yeah, that, that, that the the coming will, will will bring this judgment, but it's a judgment that comes with deliverance. You know that, that is it, yeah. there is a delivering in it. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, you know, uh, um, the Lord of Hosts sometimes is translated uh, Lord of Armies. Kind of an interesting, um, you know, substitution um, when. Uh, we live in such a militarized sort of uh, environment, so I, I'm I'm always curious how that particular uh, translation w- would be evocative 
to uh, to readers and and what that would kind of uh, promote. Um, it plays back into the fear of the judgment, right? I mean, if if you're yeah. surrounded by an army, it, it sure plays back into that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that's generally the. Uh, that is definitely uh, you know armies are 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 definitely causes to be afraid. <laughs> And it's great, this great phrase too, and who can endure the day of his coming, mm. right? Which seems to be a reference to the whole day of the Lord uh, tradition. But that it, it's, that's an interesting uh, you know, text, how, how you think of well, what does it mean to endure the day of his coming? As if, you know, it, it, it's weird because you have, again, deliverance, and yet ju- this is part of the judgment thing. Like, uh, it's, that's an evocative phrase. Yeah, I'm wondering um, if how we tie that to the announcement that the messenger's coming, and and if you're unprepared, who could endure? I mean, it, uh, I'm wondering is there is there something there that's active at work that there's a, you know in a prophetic sense there's there's a call to attention, there's a call um, to take up the the seriousness of the message or the seriousness of God's faithfulness, for instance, and what would our what would uh, our response uh, look like? I mean, it, it's it's a fast forward over to you know Philippians but you can see in in the passage in uh, Philippians that the results of uh, preparation um, that announced good news results in in, in quite a, a very deep relational kind of experience so maybe that that's a, a warning shot across the military bow <laughs> yeah it's interesting too that in this commentary, on this passage, and it's in the Erdman's commentary series on the lectionary readings. This guy, Stephen Breck Reed, mm-hmm. who I don't know that I've heard of him, but he says this about this passage. He says, after this process of rough redemption, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, a return to the days of old. Through this process of rough redemption, the people can regain their place in the sacrificial world of Judaism. Mm-hmm. This passage makes the point that, the fir- first of all, it's a matter of God's initiative, thus the initial sending language. Second, the redemption will not be easy. Third, the redemption restores the people to their rightful pl- place in the universe of praise. Hmm. And you think of that in light of Christ, the ultimate fulfillment. Yeah, it is. It you know the the, the saving one, the, the messenger of the covenant, the, the the deliverer, the Christ is all of God's initiative. It is a a rough road, right? Uh, the enduring the cross, uh, the passion of the cross, and. Hmm. And it does restore us to the universe of praise, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. in his, in, in him that we're restored into that great, like Hebrews were restored to the festal gathering, you know, the, the assembly of the firstborn. It's really, yeah, it's a, it's a, a nice great picture. Yeah. Yeah. On to Philippians. Here we go. We got uh, the our next verse is Philippians chapter one, right? Verses three through eleven. Paul thanks God every time he remembers the uh, Philippians, constantly praying with joy for them uh, because of his sharing of their sharing in the gospel from you know from. Early on, he's confident, it's a great passage, he's confident that the one who began a good work among them will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Mm, so there's yeah. this, and later in the end of the passage, it says that, you know, that they, that 
that they pray that their love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full of insight to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced mm. the harvest of righteousness that comes through Christ for the glory and praise of God. So great opening, very positive, kind of uh, hopeful, prayerful Paul. Not not sort of the to- total tongue lashing that the Corinthians get. It's a, <laughs> right. it's a kindler, gentler Paul. Right. It's reminiscent of, uh, you know, his uh, line in First uh, Thessalonians uh, 1. I think it's uh, also verse 3 is his common phrase that uh, every time uh, it, it, uh, Dr. Matt's my Greek professor uh, at, at master's level, he, he said, it's, you know, this is this carries the idea that that the Spirit of God brings others to mind, and every time that these were brought to mind by the Spirit, Paul prays, and when he prays, here's the character and nature and the fondness that he recalls is a result of the outworking of the grace of God uh, in the message of Christ, and and their response and receipt of it is, well, you know, uh, I, I guess you could say he actually has been the messenger to them that through whom they heard that good news. Yeah. And look at the result, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a deep, it's a deep relationship that's described there. Uh, just not, not just, not just what he's praying that God will effect in them, but what is going on between Paul and those Christians there in Philippi. Yeah. It's, it reminds you that, you know, that Paul, it's not abstractions, right? Like this is like concrete on the ground. This is like a guy that's, He's not just writing abstract theological treatises yeah, to people t- that these speak in deep relationship. I love that this sort of, you know, you have the kind of work out the stuff with fear and trembling, right? Mm-hmm. And elsewhere in Philippians, mm-hmm. but then you have also the I'm confident God will complete it. So there's exactly. this, it, it's, it's not an either or. I mean, there's the sense in which they're called to, you know, be deliberate about their own, yeah. you know, spiritual journey. And yet, at the end, you know, I've heard somebody say, if you could have a choice, if it was, if salvation was all up to you or all up to God, which would you choose? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know how fickle I am, so I'm pretty sure I'm glad it's all up to God, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But Paul can have that confidence at the same time, it seems, you know, yes. that he's able to also encourage them to take things seriously, you know, in their own journey. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, it's an interesting one to preach from. Uh, that I think that again, the also the interesting thing is that love here in his concluding kind of uh, words in the passage that love is kind of he wants their love to be uh, grounded in knowledge, right, and full insight to help determine. But so, so that that's interesting that love yeah. is. It's not blind, <laughs> right? Right. It's it's love that sort of that that is a, a knowing and an insight that there's a wisdom. That, I, I guess you could also say that that comes with the love. That that's what the the kind of love that will bring them into. It's interesting. Like C.S. Lewis talks about, you know, how like when we see somebody that's, you know, got a debilitating disease, we often say, you know, they're a shadow of their former self. But like C.S. Lewis, I think, says that we're actually shadows of our future selves mm. and, and mm. you know, in Christ. Mm. And so wow. here he's sort of calling, like, I'm hoping, you know, that, that love with knowledge and insight will bring you more and more into the future self that's hidden with Christ and God. Yeah, I, I think that this is one of the places you can go that when, you know, we want to talk about the, the, 
the depth and the effect of the love of God. And someone has this uh, construal that's really derived from a lack of hearing a lot about God's love that, that their default is, well, that's just, you're just, this, it, this is something more than sentimentality. And that's really what this would be describing. We're talking about something, you know, beyond the sentimental. It's, it's, it's eyes open. It's fully aware. And the implications of God lo- God's love has this uh, enduring impact on how we are molded and, and shaped uh, to be pure and blameless. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting too, the, 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 uh, the commentary, Earl Palmer has a commentary on this verse in that same lectionary commentary. And he says that he, he quotes, um, from Tom Wolfe's, uh, uh, he, I think he alludes somewhere previously in this section to bonfire the vanities and, he talks about how the novel creates a deadening ache or perhaps for some more cynical readers, a yawn, but underneath the story of New York, Tom Wolfe has focused a very small and weak flashlight on the bankruptcy of human power. His story and a thousand like it in modern literature and films reach out to our own generation with a longing for substantial people who care and believe in hope. We live with the bonfire of the vanities each day, but Paul's century is also inflamed with power and he knows the emptiness that results from apparently limitless self-confidence. Human lives in, the, in his world were aflame with ambition and the desire for power and the apparently unlimited success of imperial Rome. Over against this ambition and power, Paul puts a radically different power, love. It is what Martin Luther called left-handed power. The right-handed power of the world is based on force and brute strength, or military force, whether military force or personal ambition. Right-handed power can always be defeated by a greater right-handed force. But left-handed power is the power of love, the power of forgiveness, the power of self-giving. There's no greater power in the universe. The cross of Christ is the greatest expression of God's left-handed power. The power of Rome that put Jesus to death turned out to be the instrument that ensured the victory of God's power of love and forgiveness. Mm. And that's interesting too, right? Because Philippi is sort of this imperial colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in fact, elsewhere he says, you know, you're a, you're part of the polytuma of heaven, not the polytuma of Rome. You're part of the, you know, that keep right. in mind, you know, don't, don't think of yourselves as in the shadow of Rome, but in the shadow of, of heaven. So it's an yeah. interesting yeah. kind of contrast. Yeah. I sure like the left-handed reference, you know, the, um, uh, uh, kind of the, uh, a weak power, uh, as opposed to, um, the, the, always the visions of the, of, uh, power that would accompany, not just, you know, if you were living under the uh, boot of Rome, but, you know, wherever anybody might be under someone's boot today, you know, to know that, that, uh, uh, that, that God's not using that same, force it's a it's a force of a different sort and uh, that's that's really strong yeah it's sort of the question it's not like whether god is sovereign it's how god is sovereign that's absolutely right yeah it's how the power is exercised and it isn't left-handed it's 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 in the it's the power that's made perfect in weakness yeah that's excellent yeah excellent point move away because i just won't slack up joy palm it up palm it up and pain come on come on here we go sunshine what else what else rain keep it going keep it going joy And on, my friend, to the gospel reading, which is from the gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here we've got Tiberius' reign in the 15th year, 15th year of his reign, when Pontius Pilate's the governor of Judea, Herod's the ruler of Galilee. I mean, just a star-studded cast of rulers here. <laughs> uh, and we have this emergence, right, of John, 
the son of Zechariah, who is in the region around Judea, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then goes back to the, hearkens back to the prophet Isaiah. There's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, so that's interesting. John is such a, a key figure in all the gospels. You know, the, he has this, the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, but here, you know, he's on the scene before we hear anything about Jesus as the one preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, last time we were on, I, I, I mentioned how I, I try to find out. So how do you weave the text together? Is there something that, you know, kind of, you that kind of draws you and, and, and you kind of are able to refract some of the themes or bounce them off of one of the other texts. And, you know, if you start with uh, this vision of the, uh, coming day of the Lord and this idea of clearing the path or preparing the way, you know, and then you move to, uh, Philippians where there's the, the weir, the way has been cleared, the path has been prepared, if you will. And, and then the two, and then the, in the gospel passage being like, here it is. So uh, I seem to think that, that, that all of them are connected by promise. Uh, and that, and that, um, sometimes, um, the the promise is more expansive than we realize. Certainly, we're think we're we're thinking about the coming Messiah. But if they're paying attention to this messenger figure, then don't you think it might have uh, tipped the hat of some had they been had they had Malachi in the back of their mind, for instance? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then how sometimes we just we miss the expansiveness of a promise because we so make it so narrow that sometimes we're going to miss how God is fulfilling his promise because it's got to be just this particular way. And, um, I, I don't know. It, it just, it's kind of one of the things that came to mind to me, um, in trying to bridge the three texts that, that promise seems to be pretty prominent and that's, it's expansive, not always as narrow as we expect. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, yeah, it, it, the promise is, inclusive and more universal in ways that that are that people that are beyond people's uh imaginations you know uh yeah it's also interesting too i find that one of the interesting things in this passage is that just the figure of john the Mm -hmm. emergence of john because you have somebody here you know we're talking about like the the told temple um imagery but back Mm -hmm. in malachi you know the, Mm -hmm. the well I mean, he's the son of Zachariah, a priest, right? right? And he's a son that's longed for, you know, Elizabeth, you know, they, they're, they're yearning for this child. And he becomes this sort of, I mean, like if your father's a priest and you're out saying, no, the place you find God isn't the temple, it's the wilderness, right? right. Like right. not only do they name him something strange, like why wouldn't you name him after yourself or name it? But but right. he becomes sort of a you know it's it's the prophet and the priest are often roles that are intention and here he yeah. starts saying no 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 the place where my dad holds the key to the store that's not where we find God we find God out here yeah this plays right well with what you did so maybe the bridge is really here's an illustration of the left hand yeah 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 you know so 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 here it is it, it, the the hat is tipped here to uh, uh, what is it locust and honey uh, in the wilderness not in uh, the institutional lap of luxury, if you will, you know, where you'd expect the power to uh, exude from. And here you're going out to John. That's the other interesting, you know, we we draw in kind of the story that we know about John. People were going out uh, and they found some attraction in that left-handed 
power, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's interesting that he he straddles the testaments, right? You know, like mm-hmm. he's the last mm-hmm. prophetic figure, and mm-hmm. and and Mary, in some ways, it's, it's interesting too. Like you have the the John's birth, like all the other like other sort of birth. Uh, miracles or God granting mm-hmm. children is, is prayed for, right? And right. and hoped for, and and really, John's birth would improve the life of of Zachariah, Zachariah and Elizabeth. But Jesus' birth was not longed for, was not expected, and it problematized Mary's life, right? You know, right. so it's kind of the antitype to all the miraculous birth stories. It's so right. different, which sort of talks about how the testaments. There's continuity, and just, it's again the left-handed. Yeah. It's it's yeah. sort of like. Because the desire for children is still sort of a right-handed thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. prosperity, for progeny. Yes. yes. So, yes. so even even that is cast aside. Yeah. And so yeah. the the way that 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 John's cousin comes again, I think, points to the gratuitous nature of redemption, left-handed. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, unexpected. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. I th- I think you tapped it right there. Yeah, and what's interesting too is like John, you know, Jesus says no one's greater than John, I tell you, you know, the least in my kingdom, you know, there's a sort of, because John, despite his old, the central role in the, in being the one who announces and makes the way for Jesus, he get, doesn't get Jesus. I mean, he, oh, you know, right. it, it, that he, he's, it, Paul's all in his, in his book, the first Christian says that John came like all the apocalyptic prophets preaching, not yet, but soon. And Jesus turned that into already, but not yet. Which sort of makes space for the Christian pilgrim for for mm-hmm. simul- for at the same time sinner and saint, you know, for right. that that the, he it's not like hey clean yourself up now because the end's coming. It's the end the end is here and yet to come, and you're part of it now. You know that the sinner can right. be welcomed in, and 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 there's, so it's I mean, it's interesting yeah, that yeah. that that he gets Jesus and he does it, you know, like because because then he's still saying in what Matthew fifteen, you know. Uh, is he the one to come, or should we expect right. another? another I, yeah, it doesn't right, look right. like I, what I was thinking was going to happen. <laughs> right, you know, and and then you know, in in terms of you know chronology, um, he's like a flash in the pan, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, so um, if if uh, he's done his job of clearing the way, then he's out of the way. It's just such a different way to see the handing off of power, if you will. So if it were right-handed, you know, John would have handed off his. Now, he did point his disciples at, there, behold, the Lamb of God. But you can see how he's flummoxed by Jesus's ministry with your reference to, are you the one or should we look for another? So, and then he's off the scene, beheaded, gone, out of the way. And um, just about the time you think the promise has ended, it's picked up. You know, it's this. We, we should have had an indication that something was coming. This is the messenger. And then poof, he's... He's got really, yeah, right. That's interesting. He's not part of the climactic uh-uh. part of the story. Yeah, yeah. It's right. an interesting. He's an interesting yeah. figure in, in that in that regard. And he's. A, it's funny too because he is the one though that begins the ministry of Jesus in all the gospels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one That's of right. the continuities that that he he. It's funny that he he misses he misses the point to some degree about Jesus, but he also gets it. He's there's the Lamb of God or. I should be baptized. You should be baptizing me. Like there's this sort of agony and ecstasy, right? <laughs> In John. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, when you look at those things, you, you, you have to look for what are they rupturing? You know, are those just incidental details or you, you, what's being stirred in um, the shedding of whatever expectation might've accompanied this figure, you know, emerging on the scene? I, I don't have an answer for that. I just say, I think that becomes a question when you, when these um, uh, expectations are unmet by some uh, event, what's being ruptured. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's the old wine, new wineskins mm-hmm. thing too, right? That, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that, that Jesus brings something. It's, it's the promise fulfilled and yet, reimagined right and so it's exactly Ar- yeah. aristotle says that a great i think it's in the poetics he says that a really great story really great drama it, it when the climax comes you know like when the next thing comes you're like i, yeah, I didn't see it coming mm-hmm. and yet now as i look at it i couldn't have happened any other way and i feel like when we're disappointed with a film or, or, or a book it's like well it, it was predictable or it was so far-fetched that we can't make sense of the rest of the story but but the right turn is the one that, like, ah, oh, it couldn't, it couldn't have happened any other way, and that's the Christ event, right? That yeah. you wouldn't yeah. see it coming this way, and 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 the the virgin, you know, born in the scandalous scenario and crucified, and yet, then when you look back through at, at the at the story of, of the promise through the lens of the cross, you're like, oh, how could it have happened any other way? Right, right, exactly. And aren't we glad it happened that way? Amen to that. Well, blessings to you and to your Advent, your and to this in this Advent season, my friend. And thanks for doing this with me. Yeah. Hey, always enjoy the invitation. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Todd for coming on the podcast and thanks again to you for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.